if you don't have your purpose and direction down, if you don't have good tools and strategies for people to collaborate with in place, you can go out and hire all the greatest people you want. They're going to be frustrated. Where are we going? What is this for? How do we collaborate? What's the process? So yes, people are extremely important, but get that other stuff in order first and then plug in the right people into your organization with these individual skills and behaviors, and it's going to multiply your purpose and your collaboration. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Helping you learn how to create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Hilversum, North Holland, Netherlands. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and today I'm excited to be talking with my friend, Dennis Geelan. Yeah, of course I'm excited to be talking with him because we're friends and we've been connected for a couple of years, but I'm also excited because we get to talk about some of my favorite subjects, customer centricity and innovation. In fact, Dennis is a customer experience and innovation speaker and consultant, and he's the best-selling author of The Zero-In Formula. Now, when you look at the most successful brands throughout history, I think you'll find a common formula. And at the foundation of that formula is an equal and integrated focus on being both customer-centric and innovative. Now, what's interesting is that sometimes I'll hear experts go all in on talking about being customer-centric, or I'll hear other experts go all in on talking about being innovative. But rarely do we hear anyone talking about an equal and integrated focus on both of those. But when you look at some of the most successful brands today, that's their focus. But beyond just saying you're going to focus on those... It actually takes intentionality, and it takes planning down through every layer of every team in your organization. And Dennis's zero-in formula is the plan to help you do just that. And that's exactly what we dive into in this week's episode. So here it is. Here's my interview with Dennis Geelan. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited that you finally get to be here. We've yeah. chatted online about a lot of things, but now we get to actually talk about your book, The Zero In Formula, today. Perfect. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Well, so I want to understand something as it relates to what you write about in your book, because one of the things you talk about is you say that every organization faces two major challenges that eventually decide their long-term fate. And those challenges revolve around the feeling of indifference. So what are those challenges? It really does capture people's curiosity when I say that. And I've actually started billing what I do is I help companies solve indifference. Well, what? What does that mean? Right? So, but basically to answer your question, Matt, any company has two major problems with indifference that they need to be solving. Okay. One is on the customer side. If you have indifferent customers you got a huge problem, right? Those are people that have no compelling reason to buy your product or service rather than your competitors, right? They might buy it, they might not. Is it on sale? Whatever. But you don't have raving fans. That's an indifference problem. So on a customer satisfaction survey, they're satisfied. <laughs> that, exactly, <laughs> which is not what you want, right? No. You, you want raving fans. So that's, that's one indifference problem. And the other indifference problem, which is equally, if not maybe even more challenging for companies, is on the employee side. Oh, yeah. Similar to customers, you don't want employees that are just, meh, that's okay working here. That's ah, just a job. Yeah. You want to design a company and a culture where people are passionate to get out of bed and come to work each day. So that's really what, as a founder, 
as a growing company, as a CEO of a large organization, let's focus on two things in different customers, in different employees. If we can solve those two challenges, we got a great business here. Oh, absolutely. So should you solve one before the other, or do you think you need to solve both at the same time? Yes, they do go hand in hand. And in the book, I kind of go through, well, here's the formula for creating such a a business. And really, uh, everything should resonate and really apply to both your customers and your employees. So uh, I wouldn't suggest, hey, let's just go after some great customers and who cares who we hire? Or, hey, let's just hire a bunch of smart people and who cares if we're delivering a great customer experience? Now, you, you want both at the same time. Gotcha. So then how do you solve it? Yeah. So transition into the book to say, well, in order to be a company that really does solve indifference, you really need to root your company around two things. One is being as customer centric as possible. And the other one is being as innovative as possible. And when you put those two things together, Now you have customer centricity, meaning we actually know our customers, we care about our customers, we're in tune with our customers, we create a customer experience, we grow with our customers, everything we do is around our customers. So that's the customer centric side. But then there's the innovative side, where, hey, we're not okay with the status quo. Our customers are going to change. Our customers are going to grow. The market's going to change. Technology is going to change. We need to be a company that's innovative so that we're not just lagging behind. Uh, We're getting out front. We're trying new and different things. We're trying to find other ways to serve our customers. And we create that culture and that mentality inside our four walls of, hey, we're always looking at new and better and and we're pushing the needle. So I think when you do that, when you can root yourself in being customer centric and innovative, now you are appealing to both your customers and your employees, they want to work at a place like that. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Well, and I love how you put equality with both of those. It's mm. being uh, customer centric and innovative. And yeah. I think you can say like customer centric innovation, really. Yeah. Because you can be customer centric today, but if you just stick to what you're doing over the next span of a couple of years, things are going to change in a couple of years. Yeah. And then you're not going to be customer centric a, a couple of years from now because you didn't evolve and innovate yeah. to meet those changes. Right. You might fool yourself into thinking yeah. you are because, hey, we deliver a great customer service. Well, but your customers are changing. Are you changing with them? So you're not customer centric. You're just delivering a good customer service. Right. So I think when you put innovation hand in hand with it and you're keeping in tabs of who are our customers, what are their wants, what are their needs, what are their challenges, how are things changing? Now you're customer centric and innovative. Yeah. Well, and I want to dig down into customer centric right now, because I think a lot of leaders tend to throw the term customer centric around a lot. And I Mm -hmm. think that they also assume that once they say our organization is customer centric, then they're automatically customer centric. And I think a lot of leaders don't really know what they're talking about when they say that they're trying to be customer centric. So Mm -hmm. let's dig in. What, What do you really mean when an organization is truly customer centric? Yeah. High level statement. Everything they do is about the customer. So if we look at some real life examples of that, a startup, a startup typically is successful if they are finding a gap, a challenge, a problem that exists in society. They're, they're looking at it from the customer's point of view, and we're going to solve that gap. We're going to fix that challenge. We've got a new product, a new service. They start from a customer's point of view. The successful startups, right? If you're just doing something that nobody cares about or nobody needs, well, what, you know, how's that going to be successful? If you look at it from a larger company point of view, okay, maybe you've been around 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe you've got 100, 150, 500 employees in the company now. That's a very different mentality. It's a very different mindset than that startup. But you right. can still invest in understanding your customers, right? Interview them, survey them, talk to them, use your own products and services to see what it feels like to be a customer, 
right? <laughs> and make that a focal point of what you do in your meetings. Talk about it. If you've got a product and, and you've got product teams that are tweaking, make sure the customer's voice and point of view is represented in those meetings. That's customer centric. Gotcha. You know, and I think so many customer experience problems can be solved today if our company leaders just simply went through the process of what it looked like to be a customer. Yeah. There's a lot of smart people that run businesses. Right? Right. A COO, a CMO, a CEO, a VP. You don't get there by not being smart. But I think what happens, Matt, over time is those successful startups that were focused, that knew their customers and their challenges and their wants and their desires, those companies start to be successful. But then they have to get more successful. They have to scale, they have to break into new markets. They have to watch their expenses. They have to improve their marketing. All of a sudden, the focus goes from being outward to very inward. Okay, we need KPIs. We need goals. We need strategies. We need roadmaps. We need, and those things are all good. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not, but when the customer is forgotten or left behind and those things start to come to the forefront and take over, your meetings and your strategies and your discussions, that's when you lose that customer centricity. Again, smart people, business savvy, but it's so easy to get caught up in being inward focused as the company grows. And, and I think that's just a lot of mistake companies run into as, as they grow over time. I think so. And I think along with that comes a very siloed focus. You talk about how as companies grow, their their focus starts to become more inward. And then with that, I think each leader over each functional area has a tendency to focus on their area first. Yeah. What is our team's KPIs? What is our team's goals? And then you'll start yeah. to see maybe some of these functional areas that aren't really customer facing. I think they're the ones that tend to lose sight of the customer first. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it becomes what does success look like for our team? Yes. Rather than what does success look like for the company, let alone what does success look like for the customer? Right. For right? the customer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so along with that, I think to to me, still today, we're better, but I think we're still at the point where it seems like most companies haven't operationalized customer centricity or even innovation. And it seems like they usually do it on an ad hoc basis. Maybe they'll form a team to tackle or solve a problem uh, for a short term period. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this is? Uh, yeah, it's a, it is a deep subject. I actually had a debate about this topic at the CX conference a, a few months ago. I think I was on a oh, team fun. of a couple of people and we had to debate one side and I think it was Nate Brown and a couple of people on the other side. And we, we, we had this debate live in front of people and we just had to pick a side. Debating with Nate. Yeah, um, it was fun, but it was really this topic of should CX be widespread across the organization? Or should CX be its own distinct function or department? And it, it was a great discussion, great topics on, on both sides. But I think that's really where the crux of the problem lies. In both cases, you can make some major mistakes here. If you make customer experience its own isolated department, does that department have the power, the authority to be able to influence the other departments and make sure the customer's voice is, is being included? Or is it, oh, that's their problem. The CX guys will handle that, right? right? Yeah. Uh, yes, you've now got a group of people who are good at it. They're paying attention to it. They've got their own CX KPIs and it's part of the company strategy and what you do, but are they siloed? Right. So that's one problem. Yeah. If you try and make customer experience something that is just embedded within the entire organization, well, you're up against what you had just said before. Well, every department has their own idea of what success looks like. Do they actually care enough about the customer experience if there's not somebody really leading that? If it's, hey, guys, embed this in what you do, 
but it's not really being enforced or pushed down from above. It's not really within the fabric of the company. You end up with, like you said earlier, yeah, we're customer centric in name only, right? So there's challenges on both sides. Oh yeah, or or your team gets to define what customer centric means in yeah to you. Yeah, great point. So what what was the result of the debate? Was there a so, clear winner? I think if I recall correctly, my team won and Congrats. we had to yeah, we had to argue that CX should not be its own distinct discipline with its own CX leader and CX team, which is weird because I've been a director of customer experience in the past. So I was kind of arguing against my own job. But ideally, it shouldn't have to be something is set aside, which is what we were kind of saying. In the ideal situation, it is within the fabric of the company. It's within your values. It's within your purpose. And it's something that everybody is passionate about. That's the ideal situation. It's, It's getting there. That's hard. I think so. Of course, I wasn't there, and I don't have Nate Brown here to to help argue this one way or the other as well, but I see there being a need for some sort of group, some sort of team to at least be able to orchestrate how CX, how customer experience is clearly defined and instilled throughout the organization and is able to help communicate and teach all teams, like what it means to be customer centric. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. As long as that person has the authority and the respect and the trust. I think when we were arguing this, we're saying, ideally, that's kind of embedded in all the senior leaders, um, that it's just a fabric of of, of the company. They all understand customer centricity and customer experience is, is important. And they can all make sure that that is disseminated from their teams down, right? Rightly or wrongly, that was kind of the position we were asked to take. And uh, yeah, we, we won the debate. So that was, that was fun. There you go. Congrats. Well, so throughout the book, you also talk about empathy and really, really knowing these people. Yeah, you know, uh, people being your customers, um, or sometimes if you're thinking about it from the employee experience, you know, knowing your employees. Yeah. So I'm curious, how can brands instill empathy to really know their people? Yeah, one one of them I, I think I mentioned already was use your own products or services. Yeah, to me, the definition of empathy is to feel what somebody else is feeling. I, I went through this in a software company that I worked at years ago. I was the director of professional services. At the time, I was in charge of a department of people that helped implement our software into major organizations. And we would get all kinds of different customer feedback after it's implemented. Hey, it'd be great if you tweak this. It'd be great if you added this feature. Hey, it'd be easier to use if you did it that way. And at the time, when I would bring these to our uh, development folks, A lot of discussion would happen that when something like this, they don't know what they're talking about. That's not how it was built. That's not how it's designed. It was not, why why do they want it to work like that? That's not even how we built that until our organization got large enough that we needed to actually use our own software. So we implemented it internally. Now we were customers of our own software. And let me tell you, Matt, those conversations completely changed. Oh, that's why they were asking for it to work. Yeah, we built it like this, but that's not intuitively how a person would use it. You would do this. Oh, that makes more sense. Even even if you have the best testing practices in place, a quality assurance person is kind of following, here's the requirements, here's the step-by-step how this is supposed to work, does it work? Right. Using it in the actual wild and, you know, it's natural habitat. If you want to, you know, use that, that maybe is not how somebody would actually apply that. So looking at it and using it from the customer's perspective gave us empathy. We could now empathize and that completely improved our product. It changed how we thought about it. It changed how we developed it. It changed how we tested it because we know what it felt like to be a customer of our software. Who do you see today that's instilling empathy really well to understand their customer? 
Yeah, I'm, uh, there's lots of stories and examples out there. The, you know, the one that comes to mind quickly is Amazon. And yeah. there's the stories of how Jeff Bezos would leave an empty chair at every meeting and he would tell everybody, that's our customer. So what we're talking about here, the ideas we come up with, our customers in the room. Would they want to hear what you're saying? Would they agree with what you're saying? How would they feel about this idea you're presenting? And it just, it gave them an, at least an artificial way of empathizing with the customer as they're meeting, as they're making decisions, as they're brainstorming, just to create that feeling that the customer was there in the room. So, and uh, you can see how Amazon has done o- over the years. And so I think just injecting that simple little ritual has, has gone a long way. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and it serves as a reminder too. you know, I mean, just kind of a, a quick visual cue, Hey, the decisions that we're making right here in this room, how are those decisions going to affect the customer? Yeah. Gives it a whole different perspective. Yeah. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with the audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com slash speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. Well, you know, when we think about being customer centric and empathy and understanding your customer, but then when you think about innovation, I think some of the most innovative companies over time, like uh, Amazon or even Apple, a lot of times they'll talk about, well, think of Steve Jobs or even Henry Ford talked about not giving the customer what they want, but rather figuring out what the customer wants. Mm -hmm. How should brands take that approach with customer-centric innovation? Yeah, the best advice I can give here is to talk to your customers. Okay. But the trick is in how are you talking to them? What questions are you asking? And, And I think the biggest mistake a lot of brands make is, they survey their customers or they talk to their customers and they blatantly ask, what do you want? Or what would make this better? And instantly you're asking somebody to come up with a solution or be an expert on your product or service. Now, through my experience, most people are not good at designing and coming up with solutions, articulating requirements. They might think they are, but they're not. So those aren't the questions you want to ask. What you want to ask is you want to find out all about the psychology of your customer, right? What made you even want to buy this thing in the first place? What challenge were you going through? What was the job you were hiring our product or service to get done? If you were to use jobs to be done language, right? And then how did you go about looking for a solution? Was it online? Did you talk to friends? You're, You're starting to learn. You're getting into their head. Now, how did you stumble on us? And our product or service? And what was it that made you want to buy our product or service? Now you're, you're starting to kind of go through this journey of how, how did this even thought of buying our product or service initiate? How did you land on our product or service? And then what was it like to use it? Not how do you oh. make it better? What, do you, what was it like? 
right? right? Have you used other, what other solutions have you used to fix that challenge? How did this compare? And now you just start drawing out trends. You start looking for, you know, ideas from that. Instead of blatantly asking, what can we do different or better? You have to kind of infer that through all this analysis of those those conversations that you're having. Oh, yeah. Like you just said, it's not about asking the questions that simply drive a customer to say, here's what new or additional feature you need to add. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really getting to know and understand them and what they do on a day-to-day basis. I spent some time doing voice of customer work for a while in my career. And a lot of it was just like really just going into detailed questions where the customer walks through their entire day. And no, no question specifically about us, about our product, but it was, it was all questions, novel idea, questions all around the customer. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, there's a real art to this. How do you ask these questions? What do you do with that information? Uh, yeah. There's a great book by David Duncan called uh, The Secret Lives of Customers. It's a parable, fictional story of somebody that actually uses this to figure out uh, how to turn their business around but all kinds of great tips and strategies in there on what questions to ask, how to collect that information, how to look for trends. Another good resource would be, um, if you've heard of uh, Caitlin Borgwin, she's the uh, the CEO of a company called Customer Camp. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got a newsletter called Why We Buy. That's right. But she also offers Clarity Call Cheat Sheets, she calls them. Oh. And this is when you're talking to your customers and you want real clarity around why they buy, why you, why your product, you know, here's the questions to ask and here's how to get clarity. So there's something that people can purchase and start using to direct their customer interviews and and discussions. I need to put a link to that or show notes and I need to go check that out. Um, I do follow Caitlin online. I follow her on Twitter. And so whenever I notice any of her threads, I'm I, like, I'm I always stop and I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. There's going to be some great lessons. So much so that I think it was last night, even I saw another thread from her. And then I started getting into questions like, Hey, all these questions are around finance and these aren't questions or these aren't things that I really agree with. And, and I looked and I realized this was someone that looked very similar to Caitlin, mm. had the same tw- yellow Twitter background that she has, used her same Twitter thread approach, but it was not her. And I was like, dang it, mm. you know, I went through half this thread. Fooled. <laughs> and thinking this was you. <laughs> yeah, but Kate, Caitlin's threads are amazing. Like always full of great nuggets of wisdom there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to her newsletter. And um, yeah, I, I will definitely check out that resource. Clarity Call Cheat Sheets. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So when we think about knowing our customers, um, a lot of times, a lot of that can come through the data that we have on our customers. And I'm curious where the extreme or where the boundary lies in that. Because if we think of the documentary, The Social Dilemma, think about the tech giants, the social media giants, Mm -hmm. and we know that they have a lot more data on us than we would like for them to have. So I'm curious, is there a sweet spot that brands can be in to help them be customer centric without going to the extreme? Yeah. Initially, when people hear data about me, their mind typically goes to privacy. Well, I don't, I don't want people yeah. knowing my banking information. I don't want people knowing my passport number. I don't want that, that type of stuff. And yes, that's a concern, but most brands aren't looking for that type of information. What they are doing is looking at your habits right. and intentionally testing your habits. So in like the Social Dilemma uh, documentary, it's like, man, you, you go on any different social media platform and it's throwing stuff at you to see what sticks. Oh, he or she likes that type of post. I'll add more to his his yeah. or her feed. Oh, they stopped and watched that video. I better show them this video that's similar. To me, that's just as dangerous as somebody knowing my private information. Oh, yeah. Right? Now you're getting into my psychology and you're even impacting my psychology. You're impacting how I think. You're impacting what I see or what I think is real. So I don't know if there's a, a, a good 
direct answer to your question, what's the right level? I mean, of course, it's good business practice to understand your customers' habits. It's good business practice to know what resonates with your customers and not. But as we saw in the social dilemma, has, has something like Facebook taken it so far that now it's impacting how you think? Uh, where is that line? I, I, I don't have the answer to that. Gotcha. And so even just this week, I saw something related to this where uh, I think Walgreens had shared information with Infamil, I, th- I think I'm pronouncing that right, baby formula maker. Yes. And um, all of a sudden you had Walgreens customers that had simply bought a pregnancy test at Walgreens yes. All of a sudden, started receiving you know surprise gifts of Infamil you know at their house, and they're like, "Wait a minute, whoa! Like I don't even have a child yet. This was just a pregnancy test, and I took it for this reason." And at the same time, we're in a period where there's a huge shortage on formula, and you're just sending formula willy nilly to everybody. Uh, yeah, so that would be crossing the line to answer your question. <laughs> I think so. A, they made a big inference that hey, you bought a pregnancy test. You must be pregnant. So I'll send you some stuff for, you know, like what if the pregnancy test came back negative and they're not pregnant? Now they've got all this baby stuff delivered to them. That's that's a weird. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know where that idea would have originated from or how somebody sitting around a boardroom would have went, wow, that's a great idea. You know, like how did that pass the sniff test? Yeah, not not the time. I mean, or, yeah. or even, even if, you know, God forbid something happens during the pregnancy. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think they could have rethought that approach. Yeah. Or, or how the pregnancy came about. <laughs> well, right. that that too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's shift to the other side of the equation for a bit. Let's talk about innovation. And yeah. you lay out uh, five principles of teams to instill innovation. So can you walk me through those principles? <laughs> Off the top of my head? Sure. Well, first one is understanding your customers, I believe. There you go. If you're not starting with being customer-centric, then it's just innovation for the sake of innovation, right? You can come up with all the cool ideas you want. You can come up with neat gadgets, but if nobody needs them, if they're not solving a problem, if there's not a market for them, if it's not derived from understanding the needs of your customers, you got a problem, right? Another one would be uh, diversity and inclusion, And I know that's maybe a bit of a buzzword right now, but when it comes to innovation, this is extremely important. If you just have a bunch of people sitting around a table that are very similar, they have similar perspectives, similar backgrounds, similar skill sets, you're not going to get a bunch of great ideas. You're going to get a bunch of similar ideas. And to really instill innovation, you need different perspectives. So what that looks like in a company is you want people from different parts of the company involved when you're brainstorming. You want somebody that's been there for 20 years and somebody who's been there for six months. They're going to have different perspective, right? Somebody from sales is going to have a different look at something than a person from the operations part of the, the company, right? Oh yeah. People with different ethnic backgrounds are going to approach something from a different way. So that's the diversity part. But then the inclusion part is making sure that everybody around that table does have a voice and it, it feels to them like their voice is important. So it's not just important just to have them there and have them at the table, but it says it's equally as important to ensure that their voice and their perspective is heard. Exactly. The, the, the best way I've ever heard this put was if diversity is like being invited to the party, then inclusion is being asked to dance. Oh, nice. You can invite as many different people to a party as you want, but if they don't feel included when they get there, if nobody's asking them to dance, nobody's asking them to participate, that's the purpose of diversity. The inclusion has to go with it. So it's the same thing in innovation. There's no bad ideas in the beginning. There's no, oh, that's, you know, don't, don't listen to that person. They're from sales. You know what I mean? Everybody's perspective should be valued because in the beginning, it's all about getting as many ideas as possible. You'll whittle them down later to the best ideas. You'll refine them. But to get real good innovation going, you need lots of ideas. And that only happens from lots of different perspectives. So diversity and inclusion go really well together. 
another one I, I think that I had in the book was um, practicing this and, and really instilling this mentality ahead of time. So, and, and what this really looks like is putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. For example, when I'm coaching teams about innovation, I will encourage them that when you're not in a brainstorming session, you need to practice getting your brain outside its comfort zone because that's when the best ideas happen. You can't just pop into a room and say, okay, we're going to brainstorm now. Everybody think outside the box. It takes practice. Right. So when you're not in those meetings, how are you intentionally putting yourself outside your comfort zone just to get your synapses firing? So what that could look like is a, a great example here is when people aren't working from home and they're actually driving to the office, human nature typically is, here's the route I take to get to the office every day. Here's the parking spot that I like to park in every day because that's I've just designated that's my spot. It feels comfortable. What if you took a different route intentionally? What if you parked in a whole different part of the parking lot? What if you went on a hike and you took a different trail than you normally would? What if you switched up your morning routine? Just getting yourself, even those subtle ways outside your comfort zone means your brain is now forced to experience things differently. And that's what gets things going. That's what gets your, your synapses firing. And that's how you practice getting in that frame of mind. You don't just hop into a meeting room and say, okay, let's brainstorm, right? Oh, yeah. If you think of innovation like a muscle, then you've got to be consistently exercising that muscle in order exactly. to grow it. You're not going to be able to deadlift or bench press like that big weight when you really need to if you haven't been exercising consistently already. Yeah. yeah. So you've got the customer's perspective. You got yourself in this mindset. You got different perspectives around the table that are included. Now you want to really test out these ideas. You want to pilot them. You're going to come up with a bunch of different ideas that sitting around this room, we think these are awesome ideas. But what really is going to say if it's a good idea or not is the customer. So instead of spending all kinds of time and money and effort implementing this great new idea that you came up with, how can we spend as little amount of time and effort and money to pilot it? So piloting. Uh, whether that's a, a you know a minimum viable product, whether that's a test run, whatever, just for the sake of getting instant feedback. That's what we want. Is this resonating? Is this idea as good as we thought it was? What kind of feedback are we getting when we pilot this and test this? Boy, we dodged a bullet there. We didn't spend millions of dollars in 12 months trying to build and implement something. We built something really quick and small, and we got instant feedback and saved ourselves all kinds of time and money. Now we can tweak and do that again. Right. So, and then that's, that's the last one is get, getting ready to tweak and repeat, tweak and repeat. It's a series of small iterative events, not a big a go big or go home. Right. Yeah. You know, in my previous career, like I, I taught people to test and learn. You yeah. Know, you test, you learn, and then you apply. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I th I've seen it happen so many times. You, you have a brainstorming session at the end of it. Everybody's so pumped. They're just jacked about this new idea. And then it's great. Who's the team we're putting together to go build that and implement that and, and get it out there and not even thinking, how do we just test this idea in front of some of our customers to see if, if it works? The excitement just takes over. So, Yeah. I mean, like we, we all think it's a great idea. So obviously it's a great idea and exactly. obviously the customers will love it too. Yeah. Yeah. Not always the case. Exactly. Well, when we look at either whether you call it the bottom or the end of your formula, uh, you add a layer that I don't think enough organizations add, and that's a focus on individual skills and behaviors. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that focus is so necessary? Yeah, I mean, in order to be customer-centric and innovative, there are certain traits, certain skill sets, certain behaviors that you're looking for in people. Not everybody's customer-centric. Not everybody's innovative. And that's okay. You still need a few of those people within the company to, you know, the steady eddies to get things done and push transactions. But on a whole, you want your organization to be made up of a good majority of people who have these traits, people that are humble, people that are empathetic, right? People that are good at, at, at communicating and, and they are passionate 
about what they're doing, right? That's is really what's going to drive the needle. Not everybody's going to have these traits or not everybody's going to have all of these traits, but if you're intentionally looking for people specifically with some of these traits and you can nurture that and build a culture around it, you're setting yourself up for a much better chance of living out that customer centric and, and innovative purpose that you've set up for yourself. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you do that and you focus that much on the individuals, it brings it down to having each of the people, each of your team members think about what customer centricity, what innovation means in their role. It's not yeah. just, you know, a list of corporate principles or tenets or values that we think, oh yeah, we need to remember to do those. And then we go about and just put our head back down to our day-to-day job. It's no, oh, okay, at that level of individual skills and behaviors, here's what it means in your role. Yep, exactly. I intentionally put it at the bottom of the formula because a major mistake a lot of companies make is they actually put that at the top. And just for everybody listening here, the formula is made up of three layers. The top layer being your purpose or direction. Right. And I'm saying in the book, your purpose or direction of your company should be built around being customer-centric and innovative. Whatever that looks like, whatever industry you're in, whatever problem you're solving, you're doing it in a customer-centric and innovative way. That's, that's your purpose for being there. The middle layer of the, the formula now is, okay, how do we want our teams to collaborate what tools, what processes, you know, what, what are we putting in place to allow people to actually work together? And those should be rooted in customer centricity and innovation as well. So there's all kinds of stuff in the book around, well, here's different CX tools and strategies and processes. Here's a bunch of innovation tools and principles and strategies and processes. Root these into your, into your company so people get used to collaborating in a customer centric and innovative way. And then finally, the people. And I have had some backlash from different people who say, well, why are you putting people at the bottom? Shouldn't they be the most important? And my argument to that is no. If you don't have your purpose and direction down, if you don't have good tools and strategies for people to collaborate with in place, you can go out and hire all the greatest people you want. They're going to be frustrated. Where are we going? What is this for? How do we collaborate? What, what's the process? What's the, so yes, people are extremely important, but get that other stuff in order first and then plug in the right people into your organization with these individual skills and behaviors. And it's going to multiply your purpose and your collaboration. Oh yeah. Because you've got to be able to have that, that guidance system for people to know where they're going, where they're heading. And you've got to have the structure and the systems and processes and tools in place to help them get yeah. there. Otherwise, yeah. you're right. I mean, you, you may have some really high-performing people that will come on your team and they may do well initially, but I think they'll get frustrated from not knowing yeah. where they're going or not having the right tools to get where they're supposed to go. Exactly. And we see that all the time. The, the best analogy I give that really kind of strikes this home, I think, for people is if you take rowing as an example. Say you have two different rowing teams and there's a leader that is in charge of selecting a rowing team, having them train and enter into a race. The first leader of a rowing team says, I'm just going to go out and find the best athletes I can. That person is starting with the people part. I'm just going to go find the best athletes and that, that'll be great. But they don't learn how to row in sync, right? That collaboration's not there. You got the other leader who says, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of time really, really focusing on technique, on how do we row in sync? How do we make this smooth? How do we really work as a team? Now, even if that person doesn't get the best athletes in their boat, if they're all working together in tandem, in sync, that boat is going to go way faster than the other boat full of athletes who are out of sync. Oh, yeah. And then the very top layer, then the purpose and direction. What if the boat is not even pointed towards <laughs> the finish line? What if you have great athletes, they're all working in sync and they're all making that boat row really fast? but it's going in the wrong direction. 
Yeah. They're not going to win the race. They're making great timing, but they're going the opposite way. Exactly. And I bet you a lot of companies feel like that. We are efficient. We're getting lots of stuff done. You know, everybody's working hard. Is the company moving forward? Are we making a difference? Are we attracting new customers? No, but we're working really hard and we got a great group of people. Well, maybe you need to really nail down your purpose and direction so people know what they're working towards, right? To me, that's number one. Purpose and direction, then team collaboration, then individuals. There you go. And that makes sense. That, that's why the formula is laid out that way. Yeah. All right. So once a leader has their eyes open to what customer centricity really is, and they may start to ask, okay, I'm not sure, are we customer centric enough? So what are some of the steps they can take to know if they truly are customer centric? Yeah. Uh, do they have metrics and KPIs and goals around customers, around understanding their customers, around customer satisfaction, around uh, NPS? Do they have projects and initiatives in place around customer experience and journey mapping and voice of the customer, right? Are these things actually built in to what they're measuring and what they're looking at every day? And if the answer is no, hey, we, we've got revenue targets and we've got expense ratio targets and you know qualified marketing leads and none of those are built around understanding our customers. Though. Where's the customer in all those metrics? So that's one way of looking at it. Do they actually use their own product or service or do they talk to people who use their product or service? Are they intentional about doing that? The answer is no, probably not that very customer centric. When they're doing brainstorming sessions, assuming they do, and they're, and they're looking for new strategies, um, new revenue streams, are they starting from looking at the customer's perspective? If the answer is no, you're probably not very customer centric then. So those are, you know, three simple ways that somebody can look at their company and say, are, are we actually customer centric or do we just deliver good customer service? Yeah, there it is, because customer service does not mean being customer centric. Yeah, it's one, one small piece of the pie. Absolutely. All right, Dennis, I have learned a lot from you, but uh, I know we've got to wrap it up. I've got one last question for you. All if right. you were to create a five song soundtrack, for the zero in formula, what yeah. songs would you include? Good one. Okay, so I'm I'm going to look at this from the process of writing the book itself. Nice, yeah. The journey I went through writing the book, the zero in formula. So I would say in the beginning, I was full of eagerness and motivation and determination. So the song that would have been playing in my head early on would have been. I won't back down by Tom Petty, right? I've got this. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to write this book and it's going to be awesome. But then something happens a few months in, it gets hard. You start to doubt yourself. <laughs> are, are people actually going to want this book? Is anybody going to read this book? Is this book any good? And I have to start telling myself not to worry. So at that point, the song Three Little Birds by Bob Marley would be playing in my head. Right. Don't go. worry about a thing. Everything's going to be all right. Just keep going. Right. And then I, I finally get some motivation back and a few chapters in, I'm seeing some progress here. Don't stop believing by journey. Right. <laughs> I'm back on track. I've, I've got this book going, but then, you know, you get close to the end. You're several chapters in, but you're not at the finish line yet, man, this is a lot of work. In fact, this has been a hard day's night by the Beatles. <laughs> Right. I've been Love working it. like a dog trying to get this book written. And then you finally get it published. It's out there. It's in the world. It's been a long time running by the Tragically Hip. Oh, but it's well worth the wait. Nice. And kudos to you for using the Tragically Hip with your Canadian background. I'm Canadian, eh? Of course. <laughs> Had to throw that in there. Nice. Love it. Yeah, I, I love that soundtrack. I love how that goes along the journey of you writing your book. But I think most authors go through that same sort of journey or or any big thing that you're creating yeah. and developing and putting out into the world. Love that. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I've learned a lot from you today, but where can we go to learn more? Yeah, so the Zero In website is www.zero-in.ca. You can find everything about the book. There's an online course. There's my consulting uh, list of my clients on there. Everything about me 
so the Zero In website is, is a great place if you want to learn more about Zero In or, or the book. Or you can always just connect with me directly. I'm I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you look me up there, Dennis Geelan, uh, happy to connect and, and chat with people all the time. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Well, Dennis, I have enjoyed this. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Matt. Real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Dennis Geelan. So go and learn more from him at zero-in.ca. And be sure and check out his book, The Zero In Formula. It's going to help you learn how you can create an equally customer-centric and innovative organization. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button, because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Nate Brown. Nate's the Senior Director of Customer Experience for Arise Virtual Solutions. But beyond that, he's really one of the biggest experts in the customer experience industry. I say he's an expert, but Nate proclaims himself more of a perpetual student of the world's greatest experiences who simply shares his learnings with the world. And in line with his nature of sharing his learnings, Nate's also the founder and head of CX Accelerator. It's an online community of customer experience professionals, all sharing their learnings, their guidance, and their mentorship with each other. And of course, Nate and I discuss lessons on having a frictionless, seamless customer experience that helps your brand stand out. And we also discuss how you can instill a customer experience mindset into every team in your organization, even the non-customer facing teams. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Nate's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.